This podcast contains animal cruelty, incest, forced pregnancy, bestiality, aka Kentucky Thigh Chicken, shit eating also involving animals, prolapsed assholes, extreme violence, and fabulous outfits. Listener discretion advised. Could you give us some of your political beliefs? Kill everyone now. Condone first-degree murder. Advocate cannibalism. Eat shit. Filth are my politics. Filth is my life. A video nasty, 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 a video nasty. Welcome to It's a Nasty World, the podcast all about the video nasties and censored cinema. My name is Ashley McNasty, here with my lovely co-host, Elmo415, and our very special guest, the mysterious Al. Hello, everyone. So, and this has been a long time coming, absolutely uh, amazing companion, and, uh, we have a treat. We initially were going to do the film Possession, but we had a little bit of a hard time finding that on streaming. So we decided to do Pink Flamingos. <laughs> oh, <laughs> one of John Waters' absolute masterpieces. <laughs> oh yes, and this is a brilliant movie. And don't you worry, this is a very this was a very banned movie when it came out. And it's hard to find now. Yeah, That's actually, how banned it is. But yeah, actually, you straight up cannot find this on streaming anywhere. We had to uh, we had to torrent this movie. <laughs> yeah, I looked Dutch subtitles. I think yes. on a <laughs> Spanish language Facebook page. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I looked through. Seven or eight different television apps to stream it. Like, I there's not even a streaming site to where I can buy or rent this movie. So it is already still a very hard movie to get a hold yeah. of. And it's true. While this was not officially on the video nasties list, uh, the list itself could be a subject for the fact that this was never submitted to the British Board of Film Classification in the first place. Therefore, it is a chilling effect, and therefore, it is all good to go for us to review this. Yes, and um, there was no attempt to submit this to the British Film Board until 1989. And Pink Flamingos, the movie we are talking about tonight, came out in 1972. So, yeah, they didn't even... They didn't even get this submitted until 1989. Well, so. heck, this didn't even get a proper uh, uh, VHS release in the United States until 97. Yeah, it got released on uh, VHS and Betamax in 1997. And a really fun fact about this movie is... Wait, the Betamax in 97? What the fuck? Uh, I, that, that's that's what the internet told me. So uh, someone well, can... All, co- yeah, all 12, all 12 owners. All right. Yeah, so... And uh, yeah, a uh, fun fact about this movie is this movie movie was the the first week was the second best-selling VHS at the time so a lot of people were actually when this was re-released were very curious about this film well it's it's clearly just like the the legions of midnight movie fanatics who'd like been seeing this just like played repeatedly at like all the weirdo local cinemas and finally having the chance to get this at home yeah it was also banned in switzerland canada australia norway the first premiere of this movie was actually it was actually played at a gay porn theater so they couldn't even get like a regular movie theater to to release this movie oh yeah i mean and and, you know to be fair after seeing this um appropriate venue (laughs) (laughs) john waters has a great quote about playing it at a gay theater saying something um 
Like, yes, this film is very gay, but it's not porn. I wasn't sure what people would think about it because, you know, the venue was not a perfect match. Um, but I guess history shows us that it worked out. <laughs> yeah, it, it all worked out. And, you know, from the uh, there's there was a special feature where they showed um, showed the original trailer for the 90, 97 cut of this movie. And the the movie the movie has so much deviant behavior in it that they literally were just interviewing people who had just seen the movie in theaters for the first time, but no clips of the movie because there was really nothing in this movie that you can play on TV because there's is so much raunchy activity going on throughout, and just everything else in between is just like, what the fuck is this weirdo shit? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> like what is going on? Why is there like a why is there an old woman in a in, in a baby's playpen the entire fucking movie like what is happening who are these gross ass people and just like no one's gonna want to see a picture like that <laughs> so i've i've um i've seen this movie a few times so and i know both the mysterious al and ashley mcnasty just watched this for the first movie so i wanted one of you to kind of get the conversation started about this movie. I always have a really good time hearing people's reactions when they first watch a movie that has this much crazy shit happening in it. <laughs> How to sum this up? I don't even know. I mean, like, I, I've seen a couple John Waters movies before this. Same. I've been working my way through. It's like, I've seen like some of the lighter fare. Like, I've seen both the versions of Hairspray and stuff. But I've also seen Female Trouble, which is much more in line with this film that being said female trouble still didn't actually prepare me for this <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's only one movie that i would say that john waters made that was near as shocking as this which is called desperate living but that's not this episode but for the most part i've i've seen uh, tons of john waters movies and they're always avant-garde like this for the most part except the early it, ones yeah the early ones were very avant-garde and bizarre but yeah, even you can still see a few of them, but they it will not prepare you for what um what the crazy shit that happens in this movie. I totally agree. I'm more familiar with his later work, Serial Mom is a fave of mine, but um I was not prepared for this movie, and let me just say this movie had several points that crossed lines for me personally, which is an interesting experience because um, for better or worse, most filmmakers don't dare to go there. Uh, yes. Um, so does anyone want to talk about the plot of this movie? <laughs> well, it's about the grossest, filthiest, nastiest people, uh, who live, uh, just outside of Baltimore in Phoenix, Maryland. And the, it is their, uh, personal grudge match competition to become the filthiest person alive. <laughs> yeah and that is in a nutshell and it doesn't even begin to describe this well <laughs> and they the um yeah and uh divine's family they they have taken the um the the uh from the, the media has called them officially printed in newspapers the filthiest people alive or, and babs i mean divine 
is well, the, she's using multiple pseudonyms of the, yeah. they acknowledge that she is divine but she's I forget what her full name is but she's like living under the assumed name Babs Babs Johnson I yeah, think it's yeah like, <laughs> and they live in this amazingly like fab mid-century kitsch trailer out in the woods and I was drooling over that trailer all pink with leopard print uh, walls. It was very, uh, very cute, very campy. Fucking live there, <laughs> but no, you can't because they fucking burn the trailer down in the movie. And it's, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's also clear that this movie was only shot in a ten thousand dollar budget. You so everything that happens in the movie, for the most part, actually happens in the movie. And if like they choose not to show something super shocking, it's because they don't have the budget to show that. So it's like, they have like straight up full on, full frontal male nudity multiple times in this film. But like, if it comes to like, oh, someone having to get their dick cut off, they, they're not going to show that because like, oh, how do we show that? We have no budget for prosthetics. <laughs> oh yeah. They did not hold back on, on being visceral, uh, graphic sexuality. Like they did, they didn't hold anything back there. The only things, as you said, that was for, uh, lack of budget if there was anything not shown but oh boy does this does this movie give you full frontal just about everything yeah i think i counted four separate penises and <laughs> one vulva and i don't know how many sets of breasts but like two or three maybe more yeah yeah those are a little less remarkable because that's the kind of thing that you can see in a lot of films of many genres but yeah, full frontal male nudity is definitely uh, something that catches your attention because it's much more uncommon. It's taboo. I mean, it's only like, I mean, I've only noticed like full frontal male nudity in like HBO shows. Like, and it's not just a quick brief flash like happening now this year. Yeah, yeah. it's like, very recent. It was like that show Minx and like that's like that's the only one that comes to my mind. Otherwise, like they just don't show dicks on TV. Well, I appreciate that, like, gender parody in showing genitals and, yeah. you know, body parts. Because, uh, yeah, I'm all for, like, I, I don't want to see nothing. Let's just show everything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and when this movie was uh, re-released in 97, they um, th the movie was slapped with an NC-17 rating. And one thing I've noticed about NC-17 movies is a lot of movies could actually just get the NC-17 rating from full frontal male nudity, you know, it's like, it was, it's very like, you can have all, all the, all the breasts in a movie you want and it'll still be rated R, but you throw in too much dick, you're getting an NC-17 in the 90s. That's so true. Well, I think that's even true now still. Oh, yeah. Well, once again, I will recommend the documentary film, This Film Is Not Yet Rated, in which a, a group of, uh, uh, documentary filmmakers uh, go undercover and uh, into the MPAA and uh, expose all the voting members back in um, 2005 and then also go into uh, kind of how unfair and messed up the rating system is. Yeah, for and, example, like uh, rating R for movies in which there's lesbian kissing. Oh, yeah. Well, I think they, like, I want to say they either did an R or an NC-17 mm -hmm. for that movie, um, uh, But I'm a Cheerleader, mm -hmm. um, which they show... Like through the closed female masturbation, and that was like boom, right there, out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I this movie definitely, by that standard, and that was a '90s movie too, does not pass the test. Yeah, <laughs> we had gaping assholes in this film. <laughs> Generous and loving camera work around genitals of all kinds. It really, um, really. The camera just dives in honestly. Yeah, I have not seen that before. 
I remember renting, but I'm a cheerleader because it was NC-17, because <laughs> of course I'm a boy going through puberty who wants to see every R and X-rated or triple X-rated film I can possibly see. And I remember watching, but I'm a cheerleader. I was like, how is this NC-17? This isn't... I don't know. I wasn't shocked by it. You no, know? That's like, that's Nothing like, about it was like shocking to well, me That's like I when you find it. out that like, like, oh, Catcher in the Rye was super banned, and now we're going to read it class. I'm like... He says fuck a couple times. Oh my god, who gives a shit? This guy's a whiny <laughs> asshole. Um, <laughs> but, so, uh, and, oh, something about this film I fucking love so much is that I, I couldn't quite tell who the narrator was. It clearly was an actor in the film. But they have the thickest Balmer accent uh, out there. And just like, oh my god, I was just like smiling and just like giggling the entire time anytime narration came over <laughs> I, I think the narration was divine if i was to have a theory about I it i think so too yeah it sounded a lot like her but with like sort of an accentuated baltimore accent yes and i honestly found it pretty unintelligible i usually like to watch movies with the captions on since this one had captions in Dutch, it wasn't really helpful, but, you know, it was the only copy we could find, so I wasn't going to be picky. But, oh my gosh, the scenes that had the narrator, I just hoped it wasn't too important. No. <laughs> but I did get a kick out of the sound of it, though. It really is an unfamiliar, strange accent. I, it's like, there is something about the, uh, the, the mid-Atlantic region that is highly underrepresented in film, and it's like... Yeah, it's like other than like a show like The Wire, which like that's a very serious show, but then it's also really clear when like someone who's a local is on the show. Goes, yeah, this guy a voice, you know, talking like this. All right, boys, we're going down to the station. Make sure to do your rounds. You know, like it's like, what is this? This is like 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 it, 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 unless you're like really into John Waters films, which most of our which are set in uh, Baltimore. You're like you're not really gonna be attuned to that accent, you know, if you're not yeah. from the region. So it's like it's kind of like because we're all on here in California. Like this is like this is not one you really come by. So it, it's it's quite fascinating and and very uh, lovingly amusing. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. This so, this movie. Um. Yeah. This movie. Uh. One thing I wanted to point out with the subtitles. Every time. <laughs> Every time a movie is about to be crazy and you've, like, downloaded it from the internet, there's always, like, subtitles of some language you don't see on other movies. I've noticed this every time I've done, like, a movie download to try and find some rare movie. It's always, like, the craziest movies always have, like, Dutch su or Russian subtitles. Have, like, yeah, it's, like, like, it's always, like, like Mandarin or, like, Persian <laughs> subtitles that are hard-coded into it that you, like, can't get off. This is, I don't think these were hard coded, but I was just like, I'm too lazy to figure this out. We spent too much time trying to get this movie in the first place. <laughs> but um, so I guess like, it, it, in terms of like the plot, it's a little loose. But so like one of the first things we really get to see in the movie is uh, that's like kind of outside of the trailer is Divine walking into town, and it's also a real shot that no one on there is actually extras or involved in in the the film shoot at all they're just ordinary passers-by just on the street that day just like and you just kind of get to see her just like dressed to the nines just like being like crazy outrageous fabulous and just like seeing all like the strange head turns of everyone just like watching this absolute maniac walk down the street <laughs> uh which she proceeds to go into a butcher shop 
and sneak out a large steak um, in between her legs. <laughs> then the guy follows her with a piece of meat, and one yeah, just some guy who's I'm in there. Confused by that part. Yeah, I did not understand what was going on there, but just he like... was like sort of leering and holding a fillet of something, and like I don't know. In a supplicating way, sort of. <laughs> yes. Menacing yeah. and supplicating at the same time. I haven't seen that before. <laughs> no, yes. Well, one thing that adds to the general filth of this movie, too, is Divine walking by a sign where somebody, I don't know if the people making the movie did, or if they just lucked out and found, like, the most, like, disturbing vandalism. It's his free Tex Watson. And if anybody knows who Tex Watson is, he's the guy who murdered Sharon Tate and her unborn baby. So yeah, it's pretty uh, out of pocket. Prominent Manson family member. Uh, (laughs) Especially, the Manson murders only occurred in 69. This is 72. So, this is just raw. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, like, in terms of, like, like a film that is truly going for bad taste, (laughs) they are nailing it. (laughs) And so, like, it's... And then, uh, we, of course, we get introduced to um, the villains of villains in quotes uh of the film um the marbles uh oh, what were their names it was um connie and raymond yeah marbles. connie and raymond marbles who are kind of competing to be the other filthiest people alive and they run a they have their whole deal is that they abduct women and throw them into their like basement pit in which their manservant impregnates them, and then they steal their babies and sell them to lesbian couples who are looking to adopt, and then murder the women. And do they eat them, or they just murder them? I think just murder them. Yeah, they just murder them. And then also to get spare change, Raymond goes out and flashes women with large sausages tied to his actual penis, and then steals their purses when they run away. That is one of the four dicks. We don't just see the kielbasa tied to his dick, but we see both of them. Yes. And yeah, it. Um, I did not notice that at at first, and it's sort of a surprise within a surprise of a moment. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. It and oh god, it, it's. And then, like, just, like, some of the highlights here, because, like, to try to actually describe what's actually happening through this is, it's incredibly difficult. This movie is just more like, it's just experience. You just need to let it wash over you. <laughs> like, you, you have a crazy scene in which, uh, was it, is uh, Divine's uh, children cook, their, her adult children cookie and crap. Cookie and crackers? No, no. Um, Cookie is someone else, not one of her children. Oh, okay. Crackers is her son, and Cotton is her daughter. Cotton, that's uh, right. Cookie was the spy, right? The one who was sent, the one who got to do that wonderful uh, chicken threesome. Oh, we're getting ahead of ourselves here. <laughs> oh, actually, I was going right there. <laughs> you want to cover? Well, uh, maybe we should introduce some characters. Yes, so, yes, yes. Um, Divine's children in this movie are... Cotton, uh, who seems to have sort of a Marilyn Monroe kind yeah. of persona, very um, fancy dress, very beautiful. Kind of, she looks to me like a sad Marilyn Monroe. Yes. And um, and then her brother Crackers lives in the shed outside the trailer, where he is able to bring guests, as they say in the beginning. Um, it turns out that. Uh, crackers and cotton have a weird sex thing going 
where crackers perform sexual acts for Cotton's um, jollies, <laughs> and uh, they they kind of plan it together beforehand. And he says he's going to make a show for her with his new date who's coming over to meet the family. And they're all really excited. He brings over Cookie, who is a woman. I think it's their first date. And we find out just before the date that she's a spy for the Marbles. They've paid her to get information about where Divine lives and what name she's using and how to get in touch with her. And so Cookie comes over for a date and I don't even know what to say about what comes next. Well, <laughs> clothes are taken off. Um, there is, uh, uh, people are mounted. A chicken, a live chicken, is thrown in between them as... And they've alluded to, was it Cracker's strange uh, uh, sexual preferences? Apparently, this is it. Um, crushing a live chicken in between two people fucking. Yeah. <laughs> Kentucky Fried Chicken. So we actually paused it and looked up what happened in this scene. I was curious whether um, this had violated laws because i think we've all heard of the animal uh what is the name of that organization oh is, i think typically the uh, american, american humane association yeah human, yeah american humane society or american humane association uh are the ones who typically have representatives on all film sets that have an animal on it mm -hmm. uh which obviously this one was not uh <laughs> so apparently that started in 42 i think you said yeah i think and... it was like it was like in the early 40s or the late 30s yeah so that was already happening by the time this film was made but because it was so low budget and uh really did not have any of the usual amenities of a film they really went under the radar and Apparently, in this scene, one of the two live chickens that is squished between these grinding bodies uh, was actually killed. Which, for me, I'm an animal lover. I'm a chicken lover. I keep chickens. That was way over the line for me. Um, but uh, apparently, they also ate the chicken afterward. Like, immediately after the scene was over, they went and cooked it, and the cast ate it because they didn't have enough money for getting catering services and john waters in the in the like special materials after the film um the retrospective i think 20 years after it had gone out the first time he said oh i think we you know we benefited this chicken <laughs> and, and he said you know I, I I have no notions about how a chicken ends up on my plate being nice, you know? Like, the chicken dies before it ends up there. Uh, at least this chicken is famous, is kind of the gist of what he said. Um, which is shocking, yes. But also, I have to say there's some logic to it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not going to say that I like it, but yeah. like... I can't condone it, but I get it. Yeah. I mean, did anyone here have the urge to chicken out of this scene? Oh my god. <laughs> I mean, honestly, at this point, I think if, like, there were, like, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm just trying, like, I think anyone, everyone who was on this was fucking ride or die. I mean, <laughs> I, I, just, I think I've heard, like, way. some stuff from Mink Stoll talking about, like, oh god, 
all the insane things that John Jimmy, just my hair fucking alone, just like like the crazy shit they would do. They cut my hair, let my hair on fire in one movie. It's like <laughs> these people are like they're in it. Like, they're in it all the way. <laughs> yeah, I think he did a really good job at picking people who saw his creative vision. Yes, yeah. Oh. Just, like, fellow weirdos and straight... And just, like, or fellow travelers and weirdos just, like, uh, trying to make, like, the most transgressive cinema possible. Well, and we we noticed um, watching this, too, is that they're actually at one, of, at one of the party scenes of this movie. They're actually, like, cracking poppers, and that's probably one of many drugs that were done on set. I can't imagine <laughs> what people were doing. Uh, like, <laughs> I yeah. just, I can't imagine people being like, you know, I'm feeling really clear-headed and normal. I think we're gonna, like, I don't know, fuck a chicken. Like, yeah. actually. <laughs> if they didn't nope out of the chicken part, they probably didn't nope out of the poppers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and oh, So this is a, a great scene. So, like, eventually we go back to the marbles, and they are in bed being incredibly loudly intimate with each other. And by that, I mean they're 69ing each other, but sucking on each other's feet instead of the genitals, and, like, prof- like loudly professing their love. And so both of them have uh, brightly dyed hair. Uh, was it Connie Marbles has like, like fire engine red, like orange red hair, and uh, Raymond has like this blue hair going on. Like back in the seventies, way ahead of the curve. Yeah, it's kind of modern looking, honestly. Yeah. This scene where they're not wearing clothes, so there's only their hair color that kind of gives you an idea of when it's set. It felt very modern to me. Yes, and. I think he's still ahead of the curve because we noticed we actually had a pause on that scene for a little bit. Raymond has blue pubes. Yeah. Like, this guy, like, ride or die. Yeah. These these people went all out they, for this movie. They either died that or they got a merc, and either way, they put the work in. Yeah. I mean, it is a perfect match to his hair. I think, yeah. I think they just did it. <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah. I, I believe it. I believe it too. <laughs> One thing about the foot sixty nine scene, which of course I was going to talk more about, <laughs> but um, yeah. So John Waters used to have a, a thing where he would put foot fetish stuff in his movies, and I don't know if it's because John Waters had a foot fetish or he just knew that the whole foot thing grossed people out, so he'd throw it in his movies. Because that's a big thing with John Waters. He likes to shock. He likes to be visceral. He likes to get in your head and show you stuff that you can't unsee generally. He <laughs> loves doing that. Yeah, feet pop up in like two or three other places at least that I that's noticed. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even like uh, near the very end, all of a sudden Divine is like, there's a point, uh, we'll get back to this, but uh, where uh, Divine and uh, Crackers are going through the Marbles house licking everything, and all of a sudden just like, wait, what the fuck? She has like a little toy foot in her mouth. Like, what <laughs> is happening here? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and Crackers is, is licking uh, licking the high heels. It's one of the first thing Crackers licks yeah, in the house. Yeah, he licks like five <laughs> pairs of high heels. I didn't even, I didn't even count that. Oh my god, yeah. I, I think I just got distracted with everything else that was going on and seeing it. Like, it was an incredibly, fin- like, just phonetic and chaotic scene. Just, like, everything that's happening. It's a circus, yeah. yeah. But, oh, so before that, though, we need to, uh... Oh, I wanted to say something oh, else, yeah, yeah, too. Yeah. In that scene where the marbles are in their bedroom, we also noticed that, um, Connie's rocking sort of an envy look. And she puts on men's undies at the end right. of the sex scene. They get dressed to go out. 
Um, and she puts on like tidy whities. Yeah, no, it's uh, yeah, there's like a lot of like, once again, ahead of the curve. <laughs> well, yeah, I was looking into this. I didn't do too much deep research into this, but I know this is a beloved queer film, and it seems like it's one of the first because I feel like cinema before that didn't really address other like. Uh, genders, sexual orientations, you know, before that everyone was either gay or straight, you know, there yeah. wasn't like, you didn't really see like, you, you didn't really see uh, gender and alternative sexuality being shown in movies at the time. Well, and it's partially. a very beloved film. Well, yeah. I think uh, there's a couple reasons for that. For one, uh, this is a, this is a post Stonewall film, which, you know, the Stonewall ride only happened in 1969. This one comes out 72. Obviously there's a lot of culture that changes in, changes in between there. Mm -hmm. And I guess like, I'm trying to think the only films like I can think of that like address gender in any way is like, uh, Glenn or Glenda by Ed Wood. But that is a, you know, a Z grade film made by a guy who's on the fringe of the fringe of Hollywood back in the mid fifties. It's, you know, you had to really go out of your way to look for that movie, which yeah. also was just kind of like, you're like, what the fuck? How is this guy making this? <laughs> I think, too, that um, probably Stonewall had an influence on people's recognition of what drag was and um, things like cross-dressing that people weren't, um, weren't even familiar with terms of weren't even familiar with the concept of until probably Stonewall when it was in the papers enough that people had some household name recognition of queer ideas. Yeah. Like dressing in clothes that people wouldn't expect. I think that probably, um, it sort of encapsulates this change in a way people thought about gender and the possibilities of gender. Yeah, it, it's, it, of course it's like, it comes in the most in this package that is like the most transgressive package you could possibly <laughs> imagine but at the same time it's like well i mean they're saying multiple things here and also well if we're gonna make people listen we gotta say it really loud <laughs> one of the things that we talked about in the very beginning of the movie with uh how the marbles are cast as villains very early on is the idea of um, queerness and villains. Yes. Uh, we were talking about how the Hayes Code really had a lot of queer-coded people cast as villains because they weren't allowed to be made sympathetic. And this movie kind of takes that and turns it to the nth degree. And also, there is a sense of pride in living the way these people choose to live um, in having people be disgusted at them and still being unapologetic about it, that I think um, it sort of dramatizes a queer experience of maybe not being accepted by wider society, but not caring as long as they're able to live authentically. Yeah, it's... Yeah, the, uh, I couldn't have said it better. It's... Uh, there. Yeah, there really is, like, you know, that, that undertone rides really strong throughout all of John Waters' early movies, and yeah, this one in particular. And it's... Uh, sorry, go on. Uh, I, I wanted to say also, John... Like, John Waters uh, booking Divine for so many movies, like someone with with um who lives like divine lives it's it wasn't like common for people that would dress in drag or you know whatever to um you know to appear in media it, you know the only times you saw like 
men in dresses in movies or drag queens or transgender, it always seems, it used to always be like kind of a Norman Bates, like, ooh, you should be scared of the, uh, you should be scared of the man in the dress. He's like Norman Bates. He's going to kill people, you know, like kind of a gay panic thing. Yeah. And then in this one, you basically do have like, yeah, you should be scared of the man in the dress. Let me fucking kill you now. You know, it's, it, that's more like the tone and, well, I do also want to note, uh, Divine, uh, interestingly, I mean, uh, if you know anything about uh, their personal life, uh, uh, never identified as a woman and always identified as a man. Uh, yeah, Glenn Milstead is the real name. And uh, towards the end of uh, his life, he was uh, trying to actually do uh, more male roles um, and just kind of be able to go back and forth. Uh, but And actually had landed a role on, uh, as a, re a recurring role, on uh, married with children, but died the night before uh, they were to begin shooting. So just that was unfortunately cut short. Yeah, mm -hmm. I would have loved to seen episodes of that. That yeah, would have like, been amazing. Uh, seriously, it's like like the it, like we're truly not living in the best timeline because that happened in the best timeline. <laughs> yeah. Something somewhere went horribly wrong in the late 80s. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I know it was. It was uh, John Hinckley Jr. missed. <laughs> <laughs> it is so funny that he's on uh, that he's on Spotify now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I don't know if we want to keep talking about the movie itself or there was a question I had for everybody. So, there's a lot of scenes that are very uh, visceral and shocking to a lot of people. What scene in this movie would would you both say that was like probably the most like, whoa, what the fuck moment of this movie? Because there's so many scenes like that. I was just, I was wondering like, what really stuck out is right. like, holy shit, they went there. I, there are multiple. <laughs> so, um... I'm going to say the, the themes of sexual assault were pretty confronting. They're very, very much like a forward point of the movie that shows up in several ways. Both the flashing that Raymond does mm -hmm. and the, um, the impregnation of these imprisoned girls in the basement. Um, all of that was difficult to watch, which is exactly as intended. Um, and there's a, sh a scene where the Marbles butler uses a uh, blunt-tipped syringe to put semen in a vulva. And they show that, like, really uncut. They yeah. don't cut away. And um, so that one was very uncomfortable. I've also talked about the, the chicken thing, which, oh. Yeah. That was very difficult to watch. Yeah, that, that one is just kind of like, whoa, okay, didn't see that one coming in. It's like, okay, I guess uh, John Waters and, uh, you know, or Pink Flamingos and Cannibal Holocaust have something in common now. <laughs> uh, just in terms of, yeah, animal cruelty. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that was, I mean, I, I didn't expect, I mean, I, I expected nudity. I didn't expect quite the level of just, like, in-your-face, like, full-on sex acts to be in the film just like i mean i don't think it was necessarily the most shocking thing i just more an unexpected thing like okay we're gonna just divine's just gonna suck someone's dick in this movie um and uh her son in the movie <laughs> and uh, the guy uh flexing his like prolapsed asshole um to the tune of surfing bird uh was like i mean that was amazing cinema but also like 
Whoa, uh, yeah, didn't see that one coming. Um, yeah. Same. <laughs> yeah. Not so, at all. <laughs> so, for I me... I mean, I'd heard about... Sorry, and I, I mean, I've heard about the dog shit. Everyone's heard about the dog shit yeah. scene. Every, like, so, well, just, like, get that out of the way. I mean, it was disgusting. It's also the very last thing you see, I and mean, everyone's heard about it, so... Not a surprise. Yeah. No. Yeah. Well, I would say that um, my opinion on which is which are the most shocking scenes have changed, like like which are the most scenes that shocked me the most because i saw pink flamingos when i was very young and i almost threw up at the shit eating <laughs> and uh the chicken was unnerving but yeah i would say re-watching it, this movie definitely the the chicken and the forced insemination are both probably the most visceral scenes to me now there is something about when you're you know especially when you're a kid and you're seeing somebody eat shit well it is an adult too but <laughs> yeah. you know i think it was the like with a more developed brain the forced insemination was is pretty brutal to watch as an adult when you kind of can comprehend more of what's actually you know happening in this movie yeah and i think that's kind of like where this film kind of moves more like it it truly holds this very transgressive quality to it, and you know one that is not necessarily in good taste. I mean, like yeah, <laughs> one that is like it's a in bad taste transgressive film that is also very aggressively queer, and that's something that I don't think our society really knows how to deal with. Yeah, it's usually it seems like no, if something is like. You know, if, if something is queer, it is kind of aligned with something that is uh, kind of like uh, correct and progressive, and uh, it, it, it holds the correct opinions in polite society. This is not that, and like <laughs> this is like, this is like a weird wild card that yeah, society doesn't really know how to deal with. So we just kind of, uh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. There's some themes in society of either expecting queer people to be a model minority and to sort of submit to the norms of straight society or to cast queer people as the villain in a way that is controlled by a straight narrative. And that is something that this film just refuses to participate in. It doesn't go for either of those tropes. It goes for what is in the worst taste, the most offensive intentionally, uh, the most confronting intentionally and says that we're not going to conform to your ideas of what queer people are as villains or as good guys. We just are outside of this box and you have to deal with it. And if you're watching this movie, this is your problem to reconcile it. Yeah. Watching this movie, I, I was thinking about it as like, none of the characters seem like heterosexual. <laughs> like, like, like even like the characters that are, supposed to be heterosexual still seem really queer if that makes any sense like no one's playing it straight yeah, yeah. <laughs> even the butler who is the one in charge of inseminating these girls he says in cut footage he's not interested in fucking he's more or less asexual as the film paints him um even though that didn't get into the final cut and he's also found cross-dressing as mink stole's character um connie marbles so he's wearing her clothes, her bustier, her panties, and uh, has his hair done like hers. So even the one character who seems sort of straight at the beginning of the film, you get the idea that he's probably, not, he's in multiple parts of the LGBTQIA+. Um, and you can't really get a bead on 
even what the characters like because it um, it's a dynamic thing in this movie. They are so driven to top themselves. Yeah, it's it there. Yeah, it there. There really is so much to like dive into and like dissect if you want to just even go scene by scene, character by character through this. Mm-hmm. It's it like it, it's so strange too for like for such. And I think that's why this film has remained this classic. I think it's even part of, uh, was it the National Film Archives now? Oh, wow. It's like, it's partially because, like, in spite of how low down, dirty, trashy, intentionally disgusting and offensive this film is, it's like, within it is contained these germs of, like, truly thought provoking ideas that, like, us as a society are still trying to unpack mm-hmm. and and, they, and and so i think it's like trying to reconcile both of these things in this single package is like just it's been like the weird puzzle box of like you know john waters like earlier you know career just like okay what do we do with this like how do we analyze this i think that's actually a really um good note about john waters writing style and directorial style is that it is very much of a time and place. Uh, Mm -hmm. A lot of his work harkens back to the 50s, the style of dress and the um, cultural norms. But um, as we were talking about with Stonewall having happened only a few years before this movie was filmed, it also uh, very much is of the moment of when it was filmed, despite the aesthetic being 10 years earlier, 20 years earlier. Uh, And I think that's a theme in a lot of his movies and also why his work continues to be something that people discuss because it talks about our history, our future. There's the elements of more modern ideas about queerness and kind of like the the seeds of uh, modern ideas about queerness and also a reckoning with the past. Yeah, Um, it. Yeah, seriously, well said. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. I'm yeah, I'm kind of running out of things to say. Well, I, would... I will say, all right. Okay. Not yeah, shocking. Okay. Would say progressive ahead of the curve. <laughs> and it, it, it's quite amazing in this one scene where Raymond goes to flash a woman and steal her purse. We see, you know, she's like, she's got a mirror. She's putting herself up. She's just sitting in the park, you know, as you do. A little um, self-involved looking. Yes. <laughs> you know, he goes off, you know, flashes. He's got like a, like, with like a, a turkey yeah, neck, turkey neck uh, <laughs> hanging on it, hanging off his dick. And then she just lifts up her skirt and just like waves her cock right at him. And it's like, well, okay, no, it wasn't because also well, she takes her boob at first. And so at first, like, and then lifts her skirt up. So it's like, you truly are not expecting the dick in there. So immediately you have like passing trans woman showing trans dick right on screen uh, in 1972, yeah, and it's like we're only now coming around to this. It's so like... taboo breaking for the time. <laughs> oh and yeah, beautiful for these days. Seriously, yeah, and I, 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 I love that moment of him just being a total creep and just she just is throwing it right back at yes. him. Like, oh yeah, I'll show you. And <laughs> she seems really to be enjoying the interaction, and actually, uh, Raymond runs off looking. Um, a little nervous and scared and uncomfortable. <laughs> and I have to say that was an extremely satisfying moment oh, that yeah. I'm grateful he put in there for us because um, it was enjoyable to see kind of a dirtbag character 
get theirs. <laughs> and like, and by someone who, by all means, can be considered an actual sympathetic character in this film, of yes. which there are very few. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's maybe the single sympathetic character of the whole thing. Yeah, I, I actually the, the only character I had sympathy for is like the egg lady who's just in the like, like you know, like that one scene where that was actually cut out of the movie. You have to see in the special features where they're cracking eggs on her. I'm like, I'm like. You leave her alone. She's just trying to eat her eggs in her crib, okay? Yeah, leave she's her very alone. Sweet. Yeah. There's a subplot where she marries the Eggman, who's sort of like a milkman and sort of like a door-to-door jeweler. He comes with like a fancy case that he opens up to reveal a padded interior where eggs are nestled into their own little <laughs> spots. Uh, I'm not really sure what that whole subplot was about, but he sort of makes romantic overtures to Bab's mother, uh, Edie, in this. And um, they end up getting married, and he carts her off in a wheelbarrow. Um, but it's extremely passionate. When they profess their love yeah. to each other, it's actually quite sweet. And, you know, it's what I would hope for anyone I care about is that they have a love like Edie and the Eggman. No, absolutely. Yeah, it's just like, yeah, it's a romance for the ages. That'd be, that'd be a great love song. <laughs> Edie and the Eggman. Edie yeah. and the Eggman. It's a great band name, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, is it bad that I'm kind of want to go eat some KFC tonight? Uh, is that kind of messed up? <laughs> yeah, because you should be up. eating Popeyes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> be honest it's the superior chicken train <laughs> honestly churches is pretty good you get the chicken with the honey biscuit oh the honey biscuit anyway that is completely off topic <laughs> <laughs> oh and so i guess we didn't i mean we touched on it earlier but i think for me one of my like favorite scenes in it, and this is where, like the film truly gets like the most like phonetic and just like hyperactive and just completely crazy is that like to take well like one of their final revenges yeah divine and crackers break into the marbles houses and <laughs> cast a curse on them by just licking everything in the house and they start like like obsessively quickly it's almost like okay let's like snort some meth of the table and start licking everything i mean they don't snort anything in it but that's like the energy of it just like okay lick 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 we're just gonna fucking lick everything and just like like that way the house is ours now i mean that, not really but <laughs> the that, house will reject them that scene is harder to watch after a global pandemic <laughs> <laughs> it is it it was like that's so much saliva on everything and also they're licking high touch surfaces guys like it really broke my brain a little bit but also, the sort of, like, vibe of the scene is extremely erotic. Yeah. Like, they're both putting a very sexual energy, Divine and the guy who plays Crackers. They put a super sexual energy into this licking of all the furniture. There's a part where they're both licking the banister like it's a six-foot-long six cock that was just... <laughs> Um, I can imagine for audiences at the time, extremely shocking. And we all kind of looked at each other like, wow, this scene is really, um, it's putting a lot of sexy energy out there, yeah. but the direction it's going, none of us really enjoy. <laughs> yeah. And you also have to keep in mind that this movie 
was made in 1972. So some of the most shocking movies of all time had not even been made yet <laughs> to begin with. We're just getting out of the 60s, so this was really transgressive. I mean, it only came a couple years after this, but because I think The Exorcist was from 74. And if you read about the controversies in that film, people lost their fucking <laughs> minds over that movie. Like... Like the amount of censorship that went on in the Exorcist, we will have to do a, a yeah. A, I think a there is an episode for that. But eventually. it's it was like it's insane, and you watch it now, and it's like, really, all this over a defaced statue of Mary or something? It's like it's like it is like it, the strangest, most prudish uh, things that people just absolutely lost their minds over. So. I couldn't imagine what would happen had this, like, had Pink Flamingos been truly unleashed onto America at the time. I, I think it would have just caused a civil war. <laughs> <laughs> that seems about the right scale, because The Exorcist is such a ponderous film. They don't really get to it to the very end. But um, this one, I think frenetic is the perfect word for it. Because there's always five things going on. They throw a party. There's Nazis and cannibalism. There's poppers. There's buttholes. Like That's right. You, I about the cannibalism. You do not know <laughs> what is going to happen next. And I am sure there are things we missed. Yeah, oh, you, yeah. Know, you know you've seen a crazy movie when you forgot about the cannibalism. <laughs> the cannibalism is a yeah. side note to all the other things that happen in this film. Yeah. And the, the, the cut side character, Linda Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the names in this were something I really took a lot of pleasure in. In the, in the very beginning, um, Connie introduces a character as Sandy, no, as Ms. Sandstone. Uh, she's wearing a brown dress and looks like Sandstone. And then she, like, looks up on a piece of paper, Ms. Sandstone, Miss, uh... Sandy Sandstone. And that just really got me. Um, yeah. Because there was no reason to do that except to be silly. And really, John Waters seems to always enjoy going all out with how he names his characters. Yeah, just like, I need to get a great, I need to go down and get a list of the characters throughout his films just because I feel like that'd be like just a really great one to read when people are like, hi. Another one is, um, so Cookie and Crackers have sex. Why? John Waters said so. Yeah. Like that's the only reason. The names in this in this movie and I think in most of his movies if not all of them are so silly. Yeah, seriously. This yeah. God damn. It's like there it's like cuz and that's the thing it's, there's even attention to detail in these like small little choices that it makes all the difference. I agree. And also that shows up in Mink Stoll's outfits and Divine's outfits. Like, Divine is really wearing that dress when she's out shopping and picking up Sting. Oh, yeah. And Mink Stoll's outfits throughout the whole thing are a 10 out of 10 every damn time. Yeah, like, holy shit, I want that. I yeah. need that. It's, it's like, yeah, like that attention where it's like, it's this like tacky chic thing going on that's like working so fucking hard. Well, yeah, if you're gonna steal your employer's clothes to cross dress, why not Mink Stoll? Oh, I yeah. mean, I feel it. Yeah. <laughs> Thousand percent agree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I think unless, uh, I mean, do we have any closing thoughts here? Have we haven't uh, aired out already? 
Uh, I don't, yeah, this, I, I'm just gonna say I highly recommend this movie. I love this movie. And, uh, prepare yourself for an experience if you watch it. Uh, as for me, I'm gonna say the audio was like having my ears grated by a cheers, uh, cheese grater. I found it <laughs> extremely unpleasant from the very first moment. The music that was chosen is excellent, but the audio qual- quality is so terrible and in one of the final scenes of the movie where there's a trailer on fire, I was like, guys, is that popcorn popping that they're using yes. for the sound? I'm pretty sure it's Jiffy Pop over a fire, <laughs> which is a bold choice because it doesn't sound anything like a fire. Um, and also, like, really badly recorded. So, um Maybe just a warning for you guys. If you have sensitive ears, watch out. This is going to get you. Um, but I I don't know if I can say I enjoyed it. It was an experience. I'm glad to have had it. Uh, I'm a fan of John Waters in general. And it's made me very hungry to try out some more of his work. Yeah, I, for I, a split second, I thought you were going to say hungry for chicken. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, uh, yeah, for me, it's, yeah, this... I definitely, I enjoyed this film to a degree. Uh, it's like, this is, this is a gross film. And it's, it, I mean, this it's gross in a visceral way for all like the reasons we've listed throughout this episode. But it's also just gross in its overall aesthetic and like just the presentation of most of the characters. And, and there, there's something so strangely visceral about that, that you don't often see and you're just made to live in this gross uncomfortable place for an hour and a half (laughs) and i think there is something to be said for those experiences Uh, and i think uh i've seen you know a couple other john waters movies i've talked about that a little bit earlier and i think you know the one that's most similar to this one is uh i think female trouble i think i enjoy that one a little bit more than i enjoy this one there's not quite as much uh like just visceral shocking material in that one but like the tone is very much the same and i think it's like kind of uh when uh, he's kind of honing in on exactly what he's going for and was working towards in pink flamingos he kind of like really delivers in female trouble so i'd say yeah, definitely check out both of those female trouble might be a future episode for us uh you know that's that one ends uh and I think that that might be one of my favorite film endings of all time. Just uh, getting electrocuted uh, in the death after you went on an insane killing spree uh, in the funniest way possible. <laughs> <laughs> and electric chairs are cool looking. I, I, I don't support the death penalty, but I objectively think electric chairs are cool looking. They're fucking metal. Yeah, they, <laughs> yeah there's nothing more metal than an electric chair, but I don't support the death penalty. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, I think, uh, let's see, uh, this has been A Nasty World. I have been Ashley McNasty. I'm Elmo415. And I'm the Mysterious Al. Thanks for having me. Woo! All right. Stay nasty. Stay nasty. Stay nasty. I went everybody's head about the bird. Bird, bird, bird. Bird's a winner. Well, a bird, bird, bird. Bird is a winner. Well, a bird, bird, bird. Well, a bird is a winner. Well, a bird, bird, bird.
Ba 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 